Hi, this is Reverend Kusler coming to you from downtown Los Angeles from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. Well, it's been a while since I posted a podcast of my talks. I hope you enjoyed the uh, talks from Gethsemane 3, Monasticism and the Environment. I think there's a lot of good information there, and it's nice to hear monastics having a voice in the, in the dialogue that's uh, occurring in the world right now. But this is a talk I gave yesterday, actually, August uh, 3rd, in Simi Valley, California, at One Spirit Center for Conscious Living. And I spoke on the four Brahma Viharas, or the four immeasurables, and uh, played my uh, harmonica a little bit at the end while they were doing the offertory. So uh, what you're about to hear is my presentation, Sunday, at One Spirit Center for Conscious Living, on the four Immeasurables. I uh, feel so privileged to introduce this person, our speaker for today, Reverend Kusla Bikshu. He is a Buddhist monk from Los Angeles, and the man is involved in so many things, and I know that he will tell you about some of them. And now my pleasure and my honor, Reverend Kusla Bikshu. <laughs> So this is like theater in the round, you know? And so I'm going to walk around and get a whole lot of eye contact. So you're going to be really part of this today. Um, A week ago, I think it was last Sunday, I was invited to go down to Palm Desert and speak at a church that's affiliated with this church. And it it was a whole lot of fun. And one of the staff people, Elizabeth, she wanted to make my stay comfortable and and fun. And she said, "Um, we'd like to get you a room because we know you're coming from Los Angeles. And if you, and and the first service is at 9, so you'd probably have to get up about 4.30 to get here. And we were wondering if it's okay to put you in a casino. So, you know, so I had to think about it, and they have a really nice casino down there. Uh, and and I thought I said, well, you know, I don't gamble, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I love buffets. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking this will work okay. So. Uh, Elizabeth decided to put me in a more traditional setting, and I ended up eating at Applebee's. So, but maybe next time I'll get the casino room and, and do my buffet. I'm going to talk today about the four immeasurables. And this is something in Buddhism that's been around for a long time, but not often explained in the way I'm going to explain it. There's... Um, a really good teacher in Santa Barbara, his name is B. Allen Wallace. And, and he, he has a, something called the Shamatha Project. And this is, Shamatha is one of the two kinds of Buddhist meditation. And I've talked about tranquility and insight, Shamatha being tranquility, and generally speaking, when you do tranquility meditation, you sit on a cushion and you meditate, and then you get up and you go out into the world and your practice is only sitting on the cushion 
and then the world sort of challenges you. And, and B. Allen Wallace said, you know, you can take the four immeasurables out into the world. You can use your life as practice. In mindfulness meditation, they often talk about being mindful of everything you do, and so you are taking your meditation practice into the world if you're practicing mindfulness, but not necessarily tranquility or shamatha. So I thought to myself, yeah, okay, let's talk about the four immeasurables, also known as the Brahma Vihara, and see how we can take those four practices into the world and make our life better and maybe make the world a little better as well. So what are the four immeasurables? They are loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Those are the four immeasurables. And let's start with the first one, loving-kindness. And I have a textbook definition. But before I share that definition with you, I'm going to share part of a sutra. The Buddha was talking to his son, Rahula, who became a monk. And he was explaining to Rahula about the four immeasurables. And the Buddha said this, Rahula, practice loving-kindness to overcome anger. Loving-kindness has the capacity to bring happiness to others without demanding anything in return. Practice compassion to overcome cruelty. Compassion has the capacity to remove suffering of others without expecting anything in return. Practice sympathetic joy to overcome hatred. Sympathetic joy arises when one rejoices in the happiness of others and wishes others well-being and success. Practice non-attachment to overcome prejudice. Non-attachment is the way of looking at all things openly and equally. This is because that is. Myself and others are not separate. Do not reject one thing only to chase after another. I call these the four immeasurables. Practice them and you will become a refreshing source of vitality and happiness for others. And how many times did I say others? You know, it's not about you. <laughs> and, and I know it's supposed to be. Because isn't everything we do about us? Aren't we the center of the universe? Our universe? Aren't we always right? Aren't they always wrong? Well, if you're nodding no, then you're making progress on the spiritual path. So it's hard sometimes to let go of self-interest and be concerned about others. And loving-kindness, perhaps, is the first step. And you know what? In Buddhism, we never just say love. We never just say love. Because it gets Americans and Westerners really confused. 
We love our shoes. We love our dog. We love our car. We love our wife. We love our children. We love Entenmann's chocolate cakes. We love everything. (laughs) And yeah, what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about conditional love. We're talking about selfish love. And the kind of love I'm talking about might be referred to as agape, unconditional love. And it is so difficult to love someone unconditionally. That means you have to accept them exactly as they are. And don't we want to just change them a bit to make our lives more comfortable? Knowing that if only we could, life might be more perfect than it is today. And I was talking to a friend of mine, her name is Karen, and she's divorced and has a couple children, and she's been, um, she's been avoiding dating for three years. And she met this guy, and she wasn't attracted to him physically at all, but he seemed like a nice guy. And she's a reverend, she works at UCLA, she's a reverend, and this guy turns out to be a converted Buddhist. He was a Christian, and now he's a Buddhist. And he refers to her as his attachment. (laughs) And and for some of us, that may not be, you know, uh, an an example of love. But 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 he's realistic. He and and she started to see through his physical appearance and started to really like him. And now they are in relationship. And she asked me the other day, she said, Kusla, this guy practicing Buddhist and, and, and he loves me, but, but what does that mean? What does that mean when a Buddhist says he loves you? And I said, well, I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Exactly. I'm not sure. So I said to myself, well, let me, let me look it up. Let me look up Buddhist love. And it goes like this. The definition of love in Buddhism is wanting others to be happy. The near enemy of love, or a quality which appears similar, but is more an opposite, is conditional love. So, if you're a Buddhist, and you love somebody, you want the other person to be happy. And I'm thinking, wow, that is, that's really difficult. Because sometimes we want to be happy too. And does that mean that we never have a chance to be happy if we're in love with them and practicing Buddhism? Well, as it turns out, we do have a chance to be happy. But it's only because they're happy. Whoa, so our whole focus is on them? What a radical concept that is. You know, and we have no conditions, no strings attached to this love. If you get me an anniversary gift, I'll get you an anniversary gift. No, you can't have any conditions at all. You have to get them an anniversary gift even if you don't get one. And you have to be happy because they're happy that they got one. And you can't be unhappy because you didn't get one. So love is a very important intention. And the Buddha said our intention brings our speech and action into the world. 
So can we have the intention of love? Yes, I think we can. But it requires us to be a little more selfless than perhaps we're used to. That we're more concerned with them rather than us. So loving kindness. What is, why is kindness always connected to love? Because kindness is the activity of love. Kindness is the activity of love. So the second immeasurable, the second Brahma-vihara, is compassion. Compassion is the activity of love which translates into kindness. And it is an activity. It is not a mind state. The mind state is love. The intention is love. So if you say you're a compassionate individual and don't do anything, you're just a loving individual. The compassionate individual is one who volunteers to do stuff for other people and not get paid. Now, I've been a volunteer for over a decade. I've worked at, I've volunteered at a juvenile hall, a state prison, a police department, UCLA. I have numerous certificates on my wall. I call it the wall of me. And, and this was in lieu of payment, you see. And, and, and for a long time, I couldn't figure out why I would do it. Because I travel great distances. I put myself in situations where nobody wanted to be, and I did it for free. And I dealt with all the stuff in my life coming up because of the stuff that was coming up in their life. And I'm going, whoa, it was a great chance to grow. But I couldn't figure out why I was doing it. Some people say, well, it's the right thing to do. It's something we should all do. And, and I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I think it's okay not to volunteer as well. That could be the right thing for you to do. But I kept answering the phone and accepting invitations to volunteer. And then one day it hit me. The only reason I was a volunteer the only reason I am a volunteer is because of Buddhism. And it's because people are suffering. And that is the only reason. If they weren't suffering, I wouldn't be a volunteer. It's too hard. I'd rather watch Seinfeld. <laughs> but as long as somebody is suffering, I guess I need to answer the phone. And that activity that I am performing is not community service. It's not doing the right thing. That activity I now call kindness. It's the activity of kindness. Whoa. Let me tell you about someone I found who was practicing that. I was supposed to go up to Northern California to a monastic conference. And I got in my little car, and people are surprised that I have a car <laughs> because they're, they're used to me on my motorcycle. But I went on Craigslist and found a car for $1,500, and it runs really good, except for one time on the five a month or so ago, and the fan belt broke. So it wasn't a big deal, but if you're on the five... <laughs> and don't have tools or a fan belt, it turns out to be a really big deal. 
I, at that time, I didn't have a cell phone. I now have a cell phone. <laughs> but it's a prepay cell phone. I can't get into trouble. I didn't have AAA. I now have AAA. <laughs> because it may happen again. And I realized that it is really lonely on the five. <laughs> I was in an agricultural area and there were rattlesnakes and they were rattling. And here's this sort of big old guy in this really small car and I'm thinking, how is this story going to end? Now, I've got a couple scenarios already running through my head. You know, the CHP would stop and say, well, we can get you a tow truck. That's probably a hundred bucks. And I would go down to this gas station closed on Sunday. I was traveling on Sunday. Have to spend time in this two-horse town and then finally get my car fixed for another hundred dollars and then I could go to the conference and I'm thinking wow I hope that doesn't happen or somebody could could stop and just say you know gosh we don't have a found that we don't have any but let me call somebody for you and I said okay now I'm going through my glove box and there's a fan belt in there I have a fan belt but you know what if you have a fan belt and you don't have tools doesn't matter <laughs> So a very kind person who had love in their heart and kindness as an activity used their cell phone and called the AAA. And this big AAA truck pulls up in back of me. And the first thing out of his mouth was, you got a AAA card? I said, no. He says, well, it's hot today. There are snakes out here. Let me see what I can do. And he proceeded to fix my car by taking tools and putting on the fan belt I had and I said how much do I owe you thinking the worst he says nothing I'm just happy I was able to help I reached in my pocket and gave him 40 bucks and said I wish I could give you more because you saved me I could have been out here for hours and yet you stopped and even not having that AAA card didn't stop you you continued to act in a kind and generous way. So there are examples of random acts of kindness all the time. And this was one that happened to me. And it renewed my faith in humankind. Because I don't know if that would have happened in Los Angeles. You know? We're just too busy here. We have a lot of things to do and a lot of places to go. And somebody on the side of the road, well, somebody else will take care of them. Oh, sympathetic joy. The third aspect of the four immeasurables. Sympathetic joy. This, is, this one is so difficult for me. This means you find happiness in the happiness of others. You find success in the success of others. This means when somebody wins the lottery and it's not you, you are excited. And have you ever watched that big spin show on Channel 9? And you think to yourself, why are they up there? I should be there. And then they win like $2 million and you say, it'll be gone in a month. They'll just waste it. If I got the money, I could really make a difference in the world. That's not sympathetic joy. That finally, when someone in your life 
find success or happiness, it becomes your success and happiness. It's the way you relate to the world now. It's no longer about self. It's about selflessness. It's about loving that person, having kind activity towards that person, enjoying their happiness and their success as if it were your own. And this is such a difficult practice because most of us want that $2 million to be ours, you know, instead of theirs. And now we come to the most difficult mind state that any of us can achieve. And this is called perfect balance of mind. This is called choiceless awareness by Suzuki Roshi, the author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. This is a mind state that holds no preferences. This is a mind state that neither is attracted to vanilla or repulsed by chocolate. This is a mind state that is always in the middle of any kind of line graph. You're not Republican. You're not Democrat. You no longer have prejudice towards gender or size or financial wealth. You are accepting of everything just the way it is. You have come to a place in your practice and your life where you can see the perfection of every moment. And that means stuck on the five with a broken fan belt has an aspect of perfection connected to it. It gave me two and a half hours to reflect on the world, to think about community, to think about kindness and generosity, to have hope, whereas before I had no hope at all. Now I had hope that maybe someone somehow would stop. Son of a God. This aspect of, of balance allows us to see that right now this is the best day of our life. This is the only day of our life. If you're waiting for tomorrow to be better, you're out of luck because tomorrow never comes. When you're living tomorrow, it's today. We don't have tomorrows. We have a bunch of todays. And this is as good as it gets. Whether you're 12, 20, or 120, this is your day. This is the day you can change the world. The Buddha said, our entire world exists in this fathom long body. We have a choice when it comes to our world. Are we going to be a victim or a victor? Or are we simply going to relax into the present moment perfection of our life with balance and clarity? Balance and clarity. The four Brahma Viharas change the world because it changes the way you perceive the world. Now your intentions are filled with love. Unconditional love. Your activity is the activity of kindness. Your joy 
your happiness, your success is now dependent on the success, joy, and happiness of others. And your mind is unmoved. Do you want chocolate or vanilla? It doesn't matter. They're both perfect. So why not eat both? That's what I say. <laughs> so let me go through these definitions one more time and add the other three. The first definition again. The definition of love in Buddhism is wanting others to be happy. The near enemy of love or a quality which appears similar but is more of an opposite is conditional love. The definition of wanting others to be free from suffering, that is compassion. Wanting others to be free from suffering. And what is the near enemy of compassion? It is pity. Why is pity the near enemy? Because if you pity someone, you feel at some level it will never happen to you. And you're happy it didn't. That's pity. Compassion is realizing you could be next. The definition of of sympathetic joy, being happy with someone's fortune, someone's happiness, someone other than yourself. The near enemy is hypocrisy. And the definition of perfect balance of mind, equanimity, not to distinguish between friend, enemy, or stranger, but regard every sentient being as equal. It is a clear-minded, tranquil state of mind, not being overpowered by delusions, mental dullness, or agitation. And the near enemy of equanimity, perfect balance of mind, is indifference. If you are indifferent, you don't care. That is not equanimity. Equanimity has connected to it love, kindness, and happiness based on the happiness of others. That's what's found in equanimity. These are the four Brahma-viharas, and if you can find a way to live by those four things, your life will be really special. And you'll have a whole lot of friends because you'll always be thinking of them first. Thank you. I, I think the fact that you said Seinfeld tells us you don't have a TV. Seinfeld tells us that, we, that I don't have a TV? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, people have asked me if I watch TV. And, and to be honest with you, I have a small TV. It's about a 12-inch screen. And so I tell people, no, I don't watch a lot of TV. I watch a little TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Before we get in, uh, <laughs> we have before you do that, we have Patty. Uh, there she is. Patty's going to sing one of my favorite songs. And and is it one of my favorite songs oh, too? Yes. Okay. It will be one of your songs. I'm looking forward to it. All right. <laughs> Do that again. Wait a Am I there? You are. Here we go. Okay, here we go. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last until the end of time. Welcome. Oh, 
Thank you. It's been good. Has it been good for you? It's really been good for me. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, I want to ask Reverend Kusla to play us some blues or whatever while we're doing, while we do the um, offertory, okay? So join with me right now. Would the ushers please come forward and hold your gift in your hand? Okay, the activity of kindness. Hold that gift in your hand and know that it goes into this wonderful center and it nourishes the center, gives us what we need, and release it without judgment, without attachment. We know that this wonderful, wonderful gift nourishes us. We give it without any attachment whatsoever. That we are so blessed for the prosperity and the abundance that we have that we are able to share that we see the abundance in our life and everything that we do going out from us and coming back to us. And then we send out love and we get back love. We send out this opportunity and we get back opportunity. So we release this wonderful, wonderful energy of life and we know that it nourishes our soul and nourishes, nourishes this church. And we let it go, and we let it be so, and together we say, and so it is. Kusala. Okay. With the help of Andy Howe.
soul. Thank you. I don't know if you've been nourished. I've been nourished. Go out to the world and just share it today. Well, that's it. That was my talk at One Spirit Center for Conscious Living in Simi Valley, California, on the four measurables. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info. That's K-U-S-A-L-A dot info. If you'd like to download some free e-books on Buddhism, please visit buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info. And I just posted a two-and-a-half-minute animated video on DharmaTube. That's dharmatube.org, dharmatube.org. I have some videos there. This video is titled The Fly. It's an interesting uh, video because it deals with meditation in just two and a half minutes. So if you get a chance, drop over to dharmatube.org and check out the video called The Fly. Well, until next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.